Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Chicago Sports Chatter. Joined as always with Cole Little. This is Dustin Reese. And Cole, how has your week been so far? Awesome. How about yours? Not too bad. Nothing to complain about so far this week. So that's a good sign, I guess. Is it finally warm up there? I guess we consider warm. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is it? Is is there no more like frost in the morning? Is is that? Um, it was thirty nine this morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> no frost. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be seventy three degrees yesterday, and it only got up to fifty six. So that was disappointing. But this weekend is showing sixties and seventies all weekend into next week. So finally, it looks like we're gonna start warming up a little bit. That's good. Yeah, down here is pretty much already summer, so. But uh, we'll start the show off today by talking some college football where Southern Illinois probably pulled off one of the bigger upsets in the FCS playoffs in quite some time when they took down Powerhouse Weber State on the road. Uh, There was a Got a fabulous passing performance from Stowe Labanovitz, who threw for 264 yards and a pair of touchdowns. They also ran for 155 yards as a team, and it took a pretty good comeback by Weber State in the fourth quarter, only to see Southern Illinois come up with a miraculous touchdown with less than 40 seconds to go on basically a busted play that they turned into a touchdown. Uh, they have a very tall task this upcoming weekend as they get the top seed in the playoffs in South Dakota State this weekend. So if they thought last week it was going to be tough, they're even going to be tested even more this weekend. Just thoughts on Southern Illinois' performance, and what do you think is going to happen this weekend when they get a chance to take on the top-seeded team in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, good job to the Salukis um, for pulling off the – Big win on the road. They were the only road team to win in the opening round of the FCS playoffs. Um, yeah, and the Missouri Valley seems to be doing well so far. I guess that's probably the best conference by far in FCS this year, this season. And um, Southern Illinois, one of those teams getting a win, and now they have to go up against the top dog from the Missouri Valley football conference and have to um, take on South Dakota so or South Dakota State um, so good luck to them but you know obviously got their their work cut out for them um, but yeah that was a big win that was a big win you know they overcame an, an early deficit and fought their way back and then were able to hold on throughout that frenetic finish. So, yeah, not too shabby. And, um, I mean, I, I don't expect them to pull off the upset this weekend against the top dogs, the Jackrabbits. But, you know, we'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to see. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't really expecting them to get the win this past weekend either. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, when you look back on the Jack Jack Rabbits game against Holy Cross, they pretty much did what you would expect them to do. You had Isaiah Davis rushing for 156 yards on the ground as a team. 
South Dakota State still South Dakota State ran for 281 yards on the ground as opposed to just 150 yards through the air. So you're, it looks like you're going to have a matchup of contrasting styles here. And if you look at a lot of the FCS playoff field, most of them are run first football teams that are going to run for 250 to 300 yards a game and they're going to control the clock versus Southern Illinois may be the only team left that is more willing to rely on the passing game. And you got to wonder if that's going to play a factor just because a lot of the teams that South Dakota State did face this year are run first teams. And this might be the first offense that can test the secondary that really hasn't been tested a whole lot this year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, something that works in their favor. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for them this weekend. And, yeah, I mean, so far, like I said, they're the only road team to win. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if all the home teams won again this weekend, too. And the good thing about this weekend, too, and I kind of touched base on this last week when I was discussing the possibility of the FCS moving to the spring permanently is three of the four games this weekend are going to be on either ESPN or ESPN2 with the exception of, I believe, if I can check quick, I believe the only game that will not be seen on ESPN is Delaware and Jacksonville State, but you can watch it on the ESPN app and ESPN3. But the North Dakota State Sam Houston game will be on ESPN. James Madison, North Dakota, and then followed by South Dakota State and Southern Illinois. So basically you'll have a triple header on ESPN this weekend. So this is kind of what I was talking about with the FCS. If they were ever to move to the spring season permanently where they could control the football landscape in the spring and getting the ESPN-style contracts that the FBS gets, this weekend might be a good test run to see how that goes, knowing that the most important part and the biggest part of their season is now going to be viewable for the national audience this weekend. Yeah, sure. And um, I think all the games are on Sunday, right, to avoid yeah, May 2nd, yeah. the draft, yeah, to avoid competing. It's going to be also on Saturday, so I think they moved them all to Sunday just so they can showcase everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll get good ratings. And we'll stick with football and talk about the Chicago Bears for a couple minutes here as we are on, I guess, what we call draft day eve as the first round of the 2021 NFL draft is set to take place tomorrow night with rounds two and three on Friday and then four through seven on Saturday. Uh, Right now, the Bears are still holding their ground at the 20th pick in the draft, but in terms of trade talks and trade chatter, the Bears seem to be the one name that continues to pop up around a lot of the NFL experts and a lot of people that are following like the trade talks. It seems like the Bears are one of the few teams most likely to trade up at this point. And if that's the case, you can kind of clear, you can kind of see why as they have, I think, quarterback more on their mind of doing it. And we've already talked about this too, where, realistically, if they want one of the top quarterbacks in this draft, they're going to have to at least get around that top 10 range just because I expect four of those five quarterbacks to be gone in the top 10 with the fifth probably gone around 14 or 15. But now it seems like Justin Fields' draft stock is really falling, and I think it's because of what came out last week in regards to something. I can't even remember what it was. 
But something came out last week where now NFL teams are starting to see Justin Fields' draft stock fall a little bit, and that could actually benefit the Bears where instead of possibly trading up to number six with Miami to maybe go after like a guy like Trey Lance or somebody in that range, if they could trade up into that 10 or 11 range and Justin Fields is available, well, they just prob- probably land their franchise quarterback of the future right there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and that's been one of the more surprising elements of the buildup to the draft is seeing Fields draft stock fall while seeing, you know, also seeing Mac Jones draft stock skyrocket to where it looks like he might be picked third overall now. Um, so yeah, if the Bears wanted to have a shot at getting potentially the quarterback of the future, um, they might have a golden opportunity if Fields were to fall. Um, I mean, of course, nothing's set in stone. You know, this situation's fluid, obviously. And I mean, seems like there's a new development regarding um, the the you know top quarterbacks in the draft every day. Uh, I'm kind of ready to <laughs> to get the first round, you know, started, so we can just finally figure it out. Because it's like it's something new every day, some new development, some new projection. So, um, yeah, but the Bears will have a shot. I mean, if they really want, you know, to get uh, potentially the quarterback of the future, they could they could um, work their way up in the draft and, and have a realistic shot at getting fields. It looks like, but you have to wonder if, you know, that's, that's who Ryan Pace wants. Um, I mean, it, yeah, his draft stock has been falling. Fields draft stock has been falling. Um, so, you know, Pace may not be all that interested, um, you know, and, and I mean, Somebody will draft him, obviously, in the first round. I mean, I can imagine he, it would be a shocker if he dropped out of the top 10, 10 or 12, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a surprising development to see him fall. And uh, now we'll just have to wait and see if, if Ryan Pace considers making a move to get him. And the thing with Justin Fields, and I might be in the minority on this, but I have never been 100% sold on Justin Fields in terms of what he brings to the table. I mean, I know he's the most athletically gifted quarterback in this class, maybe with the exception of Trey Lance. But if you look at the history of Ohio State quarterbacks, they really don't have a great track record in terms of NFL success, which is kind of why I might be a little skeptical on taking Justin Fields just because of the history that the Ohio State quarterbacks have had. But for those who are not familiar with what Fields kind of discussed last week, he was basically saying that he suffers from epilepsy, which is a brain disorder where you can have seizures and behavior symptoms and even lose consciousness. And when you're playing a game of football and you're constantly taking shots where you could get a hit in the head, that's also another red flag that I'm going to raise with Justin Fields too, because if this is something that he's saying he suffers from, how long has he realized that he's had this? And is it something that has happened 
just from playing football and taking some of the shots that he's taken? Or is it just a long-term thing? And if this is the case, how many shots can he realistically take where the epilepsy is going to become an issue where he's no longer going to be able to stay on the field? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, needless to say, I don't really know the full details of it. It seems like it's something that's under control. But, you know, it seems like it's raised red flags for teams, um, you know, potentially interested in drafting a quarterback in the first round. Because his stock was already falling before that came out. And then, you know, I'm assuming that's what you referenced is the – revelation that came out last week this caused his yep. stock to fall even more um toward now i mean you know he's like a borderline top 10 pick arguably so after you know looking like for most of the for pretty much the entire college football season that he was going to be the second quarterback taken or maybe the third but definitely no lower than that but yeah it looks like now will probably be the you know, maybe the fifth quarterback taken. Um, yeah, it's it's been surprising. And, you know, I mean, he's a guy who I think the, the shortened season and, you know, obviously the chaotic season that the Big Ten had in Ohio State having to cancel games and, you know, have their shortened season. Um, that certainly didn't help his cause because he wasn't particularly particularly great this past season. Um, you know, certainly had his his share of of uh, you know bad throws. I mean, he only threw six interceptions, but I mean, it you know he had some bad moments. I guess you could say. I mean, it, it wasn't the, like, the Indiana game especially. Is yeah, the one yeah, under the microscope. Because, you know, after his great um, debut season with Ohio State, after he transferred from Georgia, I mean, he was projected as being, you know, a, a Heisman candidate this past season. And obviously that didn't pan out, you know, partially because of the short season that Ohio State had and just the, the chaos that surrounded Big Ten football. But um, that arguably hurt his case, but – and then, of course, he played that great game um, in Ohio State's route of Clemson in the bowl game. Um, but, you know, then didn't do much special except fight through injury, I guess. Um, well, I mean, he you know, he fought through injury. I mean, in the, in the Clemson game, and I guess it, it lingered into the – national championship there were still questions about how hurt he might be but you know obviously Alabama dominated that game from start to finish but you know I mean his his sugar bowl performance was great and showcased you know just how great he can be um but you know his, his stock is still falling since then um but, yeah, I mean, the Bears could still get a steal by drafting him. I just don't really know what, you know, if Ryan Pace would be up for that or if, if his plan is to just kind of go with Dalton this year and plan to draft a quarterback uh, early in the draft next year. Yeah, and I kind of compared Justin Fields' style of play to that of a 
smaller version of Josh Allen where they're both athletically gifted. Josh Allen has a big arm and is sometimes less accurate than you would like to see. Obviously, he made significant improvements in his accuracy this year just because Stephon Diggs certainly helped that out a lot. But Justin Fields, I mean, he came out with an amazing season his first year at Ohio State. And last year, like we, like you were saying, there was times, especially in that Indiana game, where his accuracy was not what you expected out of him. And then he turned it around the last couple of games. Then we got into the college football playoff, and that accuracy went away a little bit. He still used his legs a lot to his advantage. So, I mean, he still had that element of the game. But I think he's very similar to that of Josh Allen. I just think he's a little bit more athletically gifted. I think he'll be – I don't want to say he'll be a more prolific passer just because Josh Allen has the arm where he can take the top off of a defense, especially when you have a receiver like Stephon Diggs helping out with that. I think Justin Fields will be a more accurate passer that takes what the defense gives you. But in terms of just skill set, I like, I like Fields more like a Josh Allen type of player. And if he's a guy that falls into the top, 15 range or even further than that if the Bears stayed at 20 and he somehow fell to number 20. I'm pretty sure if the Bears could have got Josh Allen four years ago at number 20, they would have taken him instead of Trubisky at number two. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Um, so maybe that's, you know, something that's working in Field's favor is he seems to be um, a lot like Josh Allen, who's obviously had a solid career so far. So yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of ready for it to happen. You know, it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's been so much talk about it for months now, and it'll be nice to just finally see how everything pans out. See which quarterback the 49ers go with. You know, see if anybody trades up um, or trades down. You know, also, I mean, you look at teams like Atlanta who might be looking to to trade out from their high draft pick. And, I mean, Julio Jones, there are talks of him maybe getting traded. There's this, all this stuff going on, all these rumors. So it'll be nice to see everything come to fruition tomorrow. I guess is there a move that, in your opinion, that Ryan Pace not necessarily could make, but is there a move or a draft pick that ultimately could – basically save his job just because I think both him and Nagy are going to be on the hot seat from basically tomorrow through the end of the season in terms of whatever happens this year with the team is going to dictate their future. But is there a draft pick or some sort of a draft day trade that Pace could make that basically could solidify himself as the long-term option for GM despite the struggles that he's had so far? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I guess the likeliest – answer to that would be if he did make a trade up and to get like to get Justin Fields or a potential future franchise quarterback you know that made the future really bright and maybe if there was like a situation during the season where Dalton got benched or something and and that young quarterback came in and you know led the way and and gave the team something hopeful, something to look forward to in future seasons. But I really think the ultimate thing that will dictate it, dictate his job status as well as Nagy's job status will just be how well 
the team what team does this year. I mean, I think it's playoffs or bust, and then furthermore, I think it you know there needs to be um, a much more impressive showing that gets them to the playoffs as opposed to what we saw last season, this past season, um, you know, to help secure his job status moving forward. I mean, I think it's going to take a really solid season for, for both of those guys to keep their jobs. I think, I mean, because, you know, the talent's still there and I mean, they brought in a veteran quarterback who's an upgrade over Trubisky uh, to really help get this team to the playoffs. They're keeping Allen Robinson. I mean, they have, you know, the pieces to where, you know, in their eyes, they probably think they can compete with um, the Packers for the NFC North title. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the draft as far as the, as far as Pace's job status is not, I mean, it's, it's important. Like, it could potentially lose him, help contribute to him losing his job. I don't know how much anything could happen in this draft that will help him keep it because I, I think it was already, you know, kind of surprising enough that – I mean, I, I think if the Bears had missed the playoffs this past season, there's a chance they would have – the ownership would have gone ahead and fired him. Um, but I think he's like he's getting one last shot as well as Nagy who's obviously getting the call plays again. So it's kind of like they were saying, all right, let's, you know, the powers that be within the Bears are saying, let's see how this team can do this year. And if they're disappointing, then we're going to move in a new direction. Agreed. Um, And now we will switch over to the baseball side of things where – well, let's just start with the Chicago Cubs and another four-game losing streak is on the horizon for them and possibly more depending on how tonight, tomorrow, and the rest of this weekend play out. They are 10-13. and 13. They're in fifth place in the NL Central. Uh, after their offense started to show signs of life on the last homestand, they've now had four straight games of little t- so the inconsistency of this offense continues to show, which is why they're still dead last in batting average at a 206 team average. They're 21st in on-base percentage at 301. Uh, they're tied for 13th in runs scored with 99, but 54 of those runs came in their last homestand when they were actually hitting the baseball. And now another issue that this team has is they are the second worst in terms of innings pitched her their starting pitchers and as after Trevor Williams went five innings last night granted he pitched five incredible innings against Atlanta their starting pitchers are only averaging 4.74 innings per start and a big reason for that is Zach Davies who we'll get to in another minute here but the starting pitching on this team we knew coming into the season was going to be a struggle and outside of Jake Arrieta that starting pitching has been a struggle and even Kyle Hendricks has struggled this year and the big, biggest thing with this rotation is outside of Elzelai, who can throw a 94-95, the Cubs don't really have anybody on the staff that has put away stuff. So when a team has two strikes, or when they pitchers get an opposing team to two strikes, these teams are falling off four or five pitches and are starting to jack up their pitch counts, which is why they're 
only been going five innings per start. And not only is that taxing their bullpen right now, it's going to be taxing their bullpen the rest of the season. And their bullpen, for the most part, has been pretty solid this year. But we've seen the way Brandon Workman's performed the last couple of days and Andrew Chafin over the weekend against Milwaukee. These starting pitchers need to figure out a way to get into the sixth inning. Otherwise, come June, this bullpen is going to be so burned out. It's not going to matter how many runs the offense is scoring because the bullpen's not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic because one of the staples of um, late in, in Joe Madden's tenure was he almost refused to let starters go deep into – starts and you know it it arguably worked against the cubs because they had kind of a mediocre bullpen um whereas this year like these you know starters just are struggling to go deep into starts like it's not like ross is pulling them too soon um but yeah and the, and the bullpen is is better than it's been i guess i mean i I, you know, I think it's fair to say it's performed better than, uh, you know, maybe it has in recent seasons. At least, you know, obviously Craig Kimbrell has been back to his old self and the middle relief's been a little more consistent. But we have seen some struggles as well. And like you said, I mean, Chafin started off the season pretty well and has struggled as of late. And Workman, I mean, I, you know, he's, he's really – he really hasn't um, passed muster here as of late. I'm not sure that that, that might not be – he might not be on the, in the member of that bullpen for too much longer. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's struggled as of late. Especially when you saw how good Trevor McGill was in his major league. Right, yeah. He was yeah. a guy that in spring training that I thought should have made the team out of camp, and he came in and showed the stuff that he really has. Right, yeah, and I mean, you got Strope and you got other people who have performed better, who could maybe fill that roster spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the starting pitching is the biggest concern, you know, and, and Davies has struggled, obviously, had another shaky outing. You know, he's been bad about giving up big innings and had another shaky outing against the Braves the other night. Um, you know, I mean, Trevor Williams last night, I mean, for what's worth, got no run support, but wasn't exactly great. But, yeah, that's a concern is starters not being able to go deep into their starts. Um, and so far, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Arietta has been the only solid starter. Um, you know, Hendricks has been kind of disappointing. And, of course, Alzelay is still young and, and settling in. And then Davies and Williams have just – you know, Williams has been all right and Davies has been a disappointment. So, you know, we talked about it last week. I mean, this rotation is just not – you know, it's obviously the worst rotation they've had in several years. And it's probably the ultimate bugaboo that's going to prevent this team from really competing for – um you know, in NL Central title uh, or potentially a playoff spot altogether is just not having a a particularly strong starting rotation. And, yeah, it's a concern. I mean, 
Heck, it's almost like the Cubs, you know, are, are better off playing in the cold. I mean, they had all those great offensive out, outbursts in the cold weather recently in, in Chicago. Um, had, you know, the 15-2 beatdown of, of Milwaukee since we were last on air. Um, but, yeah, the offense has cooled off since then. You know, no pun intended. Um, and in some of the in some of the cold weather over the weekend, um, they actually cooled off, including a six nothing shutout at the hands of the Brewers. And then obviously coming off a five nothing shutout last night at, at Atlanta. So um, yeah, the offense is still wishy washy. You know, it's it's advantage of the Mets terrible defense in that series and then you know had a homer fest against Milwaukee but um you know a slug fest there but offense still inconsistent and yeah something they're obviously gonna have to work on but um yeah a big concern is starting pitching not being able to go deep in the starts uh, but to me, I mean, the ultimate question mark is how consistent their offense can be. And I guess the problem I have with this offense is obviously the strikeouts are frustrating, but there's nothing you can do about that, that at this point. Because if you look at Major League Baseball, the average among all 32 teams in baseball this year is 232, and the Cubs are sitting at 206. So. It's not like the Cubs are the only team that is struggling to hit the ball right now. There's only four teams in all of baseball that have an average above a 250. So starting pitching across the board is making hitters look silly this year, except the Cubs just look worse than others. And even during the lean years when Theo Epstein first took over and this team was in catastrophic rebuild mode, it seemed like even those years offensively the team was more consistent. Yes, they, were, they weren't scoring a ton of runs, but – at least they weren't having games where they would score 14 runs one game, and then the next five games they would score 14 total. They were at least getting three to four runs every single game. And at this point, I would rather I would take a Cubs offense right now at this point that could put up three to four runs a game consistently as opposed to having a breakout game every now and then, and then the next five games you score as many runs as you did in that one game. But going back to Davies for a second, you have to wonder if there's something mechanically wrong with Davies right now. You have to wonder if he's healthy or injured and just not saying anything because as we've seen in the last week or so, the Cubs are dealing with quite a few nagging injuries right now, which is why they've had Peterson go on the IL, Romine went on the IL, and now you have Bryant and Baez who are dealing with injuries. Davies has never been like a grade A quality starter. But he's always been consistent every single season, and you know what to expect out of him from year in and year out. He has never had a four-start stre- four stretch as bad as he's had this season with the Cubs in his career. And when he was asked about it after his last start against Atlanta, he has no answers as to why he can't throw strikes. He has no answers as to why he's struggling so much. So you have to wonder if it's – something mechanical at this point or if it's some sort of injury that he's pitching through and he doesn't realize he's pitching through it yeah i mean it's it's certainly been 
concerning, you know, and I mean, this is, this was one of the key pieces they, they traded for in the Darvish trade, obviously. I mean, uh, trade for Davies and a bunch of prospects. So, you know, I'm sure Cubs, the front office, I'm sure Jed Hoyer was, was banking on Davies bringing some of, um, that good momentum he got from a solid performance with the Padres last season uh, into this year and being a staple of that rotation. But so far it does not look good, uh, not look very good at all. And, yeah, he has struggled and, yeah, given up a lot of big innings. And, you know, I know the Cubs will probably give him a chance to work work it out and, you know, wait to make any um, drastic decisions regarding maybe removing him from the rotation but yeah it's it hasn't looked good so far and while you have the cubs who are struggling mightily the white Sox are slowly creeping up the al central standings they're now 12 and 10 they're in second place behind the surprising kansas city royals who i don't think anyone in the world expected them to be 14 and 8 at this point uh, the White Sox lost a tough one last night to the Detroit Tigers as Lucas Giolito is also one of those pitchers who's going through some early season struggles, which is kind of surprising when you look at the year that he had last year. And then when you look at the year that he had in 2019, he's kind of looking like the 2018 version of Lucas Giolito, which is not what White Sox fans were hoping for. But offensively, this White Sox team is incredibly gifted and, if you're a Cubs fan that, I mean, I watch the White Sox. Obviously, I watch the Cubs more, but when the, when they play at different times, I I have no problem turning on a White Sox game to watch what they're doing. But when you watch this White Sox team, they're, they have 110 runs scored, so they're in the top 10 in the league in that category. They're third in batting average. They're hitting 261 as a team, which is one of the few teams above a 250. Their on-base percentage is 341, which is second in all of baseball. Their slugging percentage is over 400, which is a top 10 in that area. And it just seems like no matter who they have out there, they're hitting the ball. You have a guy like Adam Eaton, who's been a reserve outfielder for the Washington Nationals and the Chicago White Sox for years, and here he is right now with 18 home, 18 RBIs leading the team in that category. And with Eloy Jimenez being out, the White Sox bring up a guy called your mean Mercedes, who's technically a third-string catcher on the team behind Yasmani Grandal and Zach Collins, and he's hitting a 432 this season and is probably one of the front runners for Rookie of the Year. Doesn't it make you wonder, like, how – because I said the White Sox current lineup is kind of what the Cubs envisioned when they were drafting Bryant and Schwarber and Happ and all those pieces. Doesn't it make you wonder how the White Sox were able to hit – with so many of these prospects and they were able to construct a lineup that is as deadly as it is. And then you go five, six miles across town and you have a Cubs lineup who theoretically is built the same way, but it just seems like they can't put the ball in play at all. Yeah. Makes you wonder, makes you wonder. I mean, that's, you know, really the ultimate question mark is what, what's gone wrong with this Cubs lineup hitting wise and whether or not, you know, Theo Epstein just kind of held on for too long and expected the, 
the uh, hitting situation to work itself out with and and expect this co- that core group to be in place for years to come. Um, but yeah, the White Sox have done a great job of building a, a solid hitting lineup. And yeah, Mercedes, I mean, what a story that's been, him coming out of nowhere and, and, and being really one of the X factors for this White Sox team so far. Um, but yeah, that is a core group. That is a lineup that is poised for success for for several seasons to come, whereas the Cubs are looking like they're on the verge of a, a rebuild the likes of which we haven't seen in you know a decade with this team so um certainly a tale of two chicago baseball teams right there but yeah chicago or the uh white Sox. that is um yeah i mean they just have a well-rounded lineup i mean have a great mixture of, of power hitters and guys who are skilled at getting on base a lot of youth, so a lot to look forward to there with that team. And I expect them to just continue coming into their own. And, you know, I mean, like you said, the Royals have been a surprising storyline so far. Um, but I I fully expect the White Sox to surpass them and um, take control of that division in the not-too-distant future. And I'll go back to the Cubs for uh... – one minute here before we switch topics. I understand that the Cubs want to compete this year, but then you also have to take into consideration that they're a team that I I call them a fringe team where if things go right, then you're going to look at a team that's going to be buyers at the trade deadline trying to put the finishing pieces on a roster that was basically constructed to compete and hopefully get over the hump. But if things go south, which it's what it's been doing lately, they're going to be a team that is a seller at the deadline, trying to get as many assets for Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and players like that to at least jumpstart a rebuild and make things easier. But at what point do you, I guess if you're David Ross, do you get rid of Anthony Iaposi? I mean, I don't know who to blame at this point. I don't know if it's the hitters who need to take accountability for the offensive struggles. I don't know if it's Anthony Iaposi and the approach he wants this team to have when they come to the plate, if that's part of the struggles. But at some point, and it's going to have to happen sooner or later, at some point David Ross is going to have to give this offense a wake-up call. And another wake-up call that I could see happening is, sending Ian Happ down to AAA once the minor league season gets underway next week just because Ian Happ looks unbelievably lost at the plate right now. <laughs> He's looking like he did in 2018-2019 when the Cubs sent him down to Iowa for four months, and then all of a sudden after he spends four months in the minor leagues, he comes back up and plays the way the Cubs expected him to play over the next calendar year. But with what we've seen out of Nico Horner, Nico Horner deserves to stay at the major league level. Not only does he deserve to stay at the major league level, he deserves to be the leadoff hitter at this point because I think he's the only one on the roster that gives them the leadoff approach that they would expect. But I'm not going to be surprised at all to see a guy like Ian Happ get sent down to AAA to figure some things out. But if I'm David Ross, before I make any drastic player changes to the roster, I'm looking at the personnel first. And if I'm David Ross, if things don't change – I would say within the next two, three weeks, so basically by mid-May, 
I'm getting rid of Anthony Iaposi and getting a fresh face as the hitting coach to see if that makes a difference because at some point you can't get by hitting a 206 as a team. Something's got to change. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, Iaposi, I mean, I, I think I talked about it last week, you know, them the Cubs deciding to hang on to him for this season was one of the more surprising decisions that they made this past off season. You know, I thought after um, the way the offense kind of fell off down the stretch that they would look to go in a new direction, but um, chose to bring him back. Uh, and, and, yeah, and so far it hasn't worked out, obviously. And, yeah, I agree. I mean, that would that could be something that could help salvage the season is maybe getting a fresh face and there's the hitting coach. If this continues, um, if this, you know, offensive inconsistency continues. Um, and, yeah, I mean, as for Ian Happ, you know, what a ride it's been with Ian Happ. I mean, <laughs> you know, it arguably contributed to Joe Madden's downfall was his insistence on keeping Happ in the lineup and, you know, giving him a, a shot to – try to develop into something and then obviously he got sent down for the majority of the season then he got called up and had that great September you know when the Cubs ultimately didn't make the playoffs in 2019 and then got off to that awesome start to last season and then fell off down the stretch and now it's back to him just being you know lackluster to say the least i mean pretty ineffective this season and yeah i mean it might result in him getting sent down you know i have to imagine that hoyer is already envisioning potentially trading him or you know moving on from him in some form or fashion at some point this year um yeah i mean that's that's certainly been a disappointing element of uh you know this season for the cubs is is hap who was really the spark plug down the stretch in 2019 i mean really one of the few guys who's actually hitting well in september of 2019 and then the guy who really helped them get off to that great start last season um but really since last september just hasn't been hasn't been hitting the ball um and, yeah, I mean, as for Horner, I mean, I agree. I think he needs to stay up. They don't need to send him down again. I think he's the closest thing they have to a true leadoff hitter, so I agree with you there. They might as well keep him in the leadoff spot and try to make that work because, obviously, that's been one of the biggest issues with the batting order in recent years is no true leadoff man. I mean, they really haven't had true leadoff man since, you know, Dexter Fowler left, which, you know, his last season obviously was was the World Series season 2016. Um, but, you know, I mean, that that's something that's really hurt them, um, you know, especially since 2018 was not, was not having a true leadoff man. And, you know, Nico could potentially be the answer to that. Um, so I agree they need to – keep him in the starting lineup on a regular basis and have him as the leadoff man. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, that could potentially make a difference, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you, you know, if, if the 
inconsistency at the plate continues and you know, I mean, if they continue to struggle mightily against good starting pitching, because see, that's the thing. Like it's it's like night and day for the most part. And this goes back even to last season and maybe even the season before, is you know, the Cubs will have great success if they go up against a mediocre starter or a or a lackluster starter, but if they get a starter who's, you know, above average to say the least, I mean it's like we see the terrible um, inconsistency at the plate come back and they can't, you know, rely on the home run ball like they seem to so often do in their wins. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I would be open to a change at the hitting coach position if, if this continues. Yeah, and the weird thing is a lot of people say that Chicago Bears are the franchise where quarterbacks go to die, and I've known <laughs> – I know that sounds mean to say, but you've heard a lot of people say that where like a good quarterback goes to Chicago and then all of a sudden their career just goes south when they get there. And you can kind of look at the leadoff situation and say the exact same thing because Kyle Schwarber was having an amazing playoff run in 2016. And then even when he was called up for those final three months in 2015, he was looking like a guy that was going to hit 280, 290 and be a <coughs> – 35 to 40 homer hitter every year mm -hmm. goes into the leadoff spot and he's hitting a 195 as a leadoff hitter but it seemed like as soon as you put him in that leadoff role he completely changed as a hitter because he never hit above a 240 after that point same thing with ian happ ian happ was always like a 270 275 hitter in the minors who his rookie year he hit like a 262 i think as a rookie the moment you put him in that leadoff spot in 2018 he starts to struggle and go south, and it seems like he's never been able to recover from that. So it's just weird how whoever the Cubs have stuck in that position not only does not have success as a leadoff hitter, but it seems like whatever struggles they went through during their time as a leadoff hitter just continued down through wherever they went in the roster. And I'm hoping that's not the case if Nico Horner is given the leadoff job, but I do believe that he – can at least be a leadoff hitter because he's had that experience in the minor leagues before where he knows how to be a leadoff hitter and he doesn't have the same approach as the rest of the Cubs lineup. He's one of those guys that likes to make contact, likes to put the bat on the ball and just tries to do all the little things to win baseball games instead of going for a home run or bust. So I think he's just more suitable for that role and I think he's one of those players that long-term will success – have success in that role but then back to Ian Happ for a second the only thing that Ian Happ has going for him at this point and it's not even a good thing at this point is there is nobody in the Cubs outfield right now that is producing Jock Peterson's hitting a 135 Jason Hayward's hitting I think like a 180 or a 190 Jake Marisnik is hitting like a 180 or a 190 so even if you want to sit Ian Happ down for a couple of games, or if you want to send him down to AAA, what is the advantage of that at this point? Because whoever you're going to replace him with, nobody in the outfield is producing at this point. That's why I think it's such a difficult decision to make with Ian Happ what you want to do, just because if you send him down, you're really not replacing him with anybody that's producing. Yeah, true. And I mean, he probably won't get sit down at, sit, sent down unless his situation gets terrible. Um, you know, I mean, if anything, I think that 
Poyer just kind of looked to trade him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it has been – that is a huge issue is the outfield production and obviously – Jock Peterson's dealing with injury and injury right now, you know, and then on the infield, Javi Baez and Chris Bryan are dealing with, with some injury issues right now. I mean, looks like Javi might be out for a little bit with a hamstring strain. I mean, you never know. He might try and fight through it. Um, but yes, this, you know, lots of concerns with, with, this lineup altogether in terms of plate production. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Nico potentially settling in as the leadoff man and providing this lineup with a spark is one of the few auspicious things surrounding this batting order right now, something they maybe have to look forward to. And obviously Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras, who are – probably thinking about the future here and, and potential, you know, seasons that could dictate their, their future. Um, and they're playing well right now, obviously to start the season, they're hitting well. So that's something the Cubs have working for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like Horner as a leadoff man and in games when he's not starting, I mean, they might as well just start, Eric Sogard in his place and have him serve as the leadoff man because he's a conventional leadoff hitter as well and a guy who's good at getting on base and hitting to the opposite field and just putting balls in play. Um, and those are the kind of guys you need as a leadoff man. You know, that's that's what's so that's why that spot in the lineup is so important because it really jump starts the team. It, it you know, jump starts the uh batting order so yeah I, I like corners the leadoff man for sure and now we'll switch over to the hockey side of things where the Chicago Blackhawks were part of a playoff celebration last night except it was the Tampa Bay Lightning who clinched the playoff mm-hmm. with their seven to four win over Chicago at this point in the season, it was fun while it lasted, but I think it's safe to say that Chicago will not be making the playoffs this year. They're seven points behind Nashville for that final playoff spot. They're five points behind Dallas for fifth place. They have games with the Florida Panthers coming up yet and the Carolina Hurricanes and Dallas Stars. So unless Chicago wins out at this point, I don't see them making the playoffs. I guess one good thing that can come from their loss last night is They don't have to worry about seeing the Tampa Bay Lightning eight times a year anymore because Tampa Bay went seven and one against Chicago this year. And I'm going to say they single-handedly eliminated the Blackhawks from playoff contention because a couple more wins against Tampa Bay and we're having an entirely different conversation where Chicago is still alive as opposed to pretty much the final nail was driven in their coffin last night. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it looks to be, yeah, like you said, that they're going to come up short. Um, and, yeah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, I mean, they're in a tough division this year and, you know, have some tough opponents they've had to go up against. And, you know, I mean, I still think so far they've overachieved. I mean, they'll look to finish the season strong um, and not fall too far back in the pack. Uh, still have a few weeks left. But, yeah, I mean, it, it appears like, um, you know, it would take a miracle for them to get into the playoffs at this point. 
but you know they have plenty to look for, look ahead to and look forward to next season. And I know Chicago wants to be as competitive as possible over their final seven games, but I believe if Nashville wins two of their final six or any combination where if Nashville wins one game and Chicago loses one game, then Nashville basically eliminates Chicago from playoff contention at that point. So technically Chicago is still alive. And once they do get eliminated from playoff contention, I'm at the point now where you sit Kevin Lankin in, you sit Malcolm Subban, and you call somebody up from your taxi squad roster or just call somebody up from your minor league roster and even sit Patrick Kane and some of those other guys at this point and just give a lot of your prospects plenty of ice time those final four to five games. Chicago's already had eight players this year who have made their NHL debut, and a lot of them have been fairly successful in the process. So if you can't make the playoffs – why not see how good your future can be and give as many of your prospects a chance to play that final week of the season once you are eliminated from contention? Yeah, that's a good point, and maybe they'll do that. You know, they might want to um, – the Blackhawks might want to might want to get officially eliminated first before trying that out. But, yeah, they might as well mix things up and, you know, try to get some uh, – reserves in there some backups in there get them some more playing time down the stretch and this sort of game plan for next season because you know you'll we'll, there'll be a shortened off season obviously um even for teams that don't make the playoffs it looks like the um regular season for the 2021-22 season is projected to start you know but maybe just about a week or so later than usual, like the second week in October. So, um, yeah, training camp will, will be around. We'll arrive sooner than many might realize. It'll be here before you know it. So might as well start planning for the future. And with the Blackhawks on the verge of being eliminated from playoff contention, you have the Chicago Bulls who – maybe on the outside looking in at this point, but they're in a much better position than the Blackhawks are at this point. They split with the Miami Heat over the weekend, and realistically, they were probably one quarter away from sweeping Miami because they erased a 26-point deficit against Miami to only lose by four points or five points in the fourth quarter, and then they carried that over to the second game where ended up beating Miami by eight. Uh, they moved up to the 11th spot in the Eastern Conference. They have the same exact record as Toronto, but because the Bulls have taken both meetings from Toronto this year, they've won the season series against Toronto, so they hold the tiebreaker over Toronto. They're still one game behind Washington, who did have their eight-game winning streak snapped the other day by San Antonio. But another thing the Bulls have going in their favor, they took the season series from the Wizards also, where – if Chicago ends up with the same record as Washington, they'll like, get the tiebreaker over Washington. Keep in mind that Zach Levine's been out the last, I think, six or seven games. Billy Donovan has ruled him out for the remainder of this trip and basically said Zach Levine is staying back in Chicago, getting healthy, but there's a good chance that when the Bulls return home that Zach Levine will be back with the team, which is going to be huge for those final ten games. Going back on the trade deadline and 
we both discussed on how the Bulls probably won the trade deadline just based on the name they got in Vucevic, and now all of a sudden Daniel Tice is emerging as a key piece for the Chicago Bulls, who's certainly going to be a probably on this team in the future, which makes Laurie Markin a bit more disposable, a, a bit more disposable, especially if Tice can continue to play the way he is. But in the process, did Chicago actually make some of these other teams better? Also, and the reason why I'm going to say that is you sent a former top 10 pick in Wendell Carter Jr. to the Orlando Magic, plus your first round pick to the Magic this year, which is a protected pick, which means Orlando is essentially going to get a top 10 pick in Wendell Carter Jr. and another top 10, possibly a top five pick this year in whoever the Bulls would have. And then you look at the Wizards where the moment they get Daniel Gafford from Chicago, Gafford goes into the starting lineup, and all of a sudden Washington is winning games like they haven't won at all this season. Yes, the Bulls' record isn't that great since they made these deals, and I'm still going to say that they won the trade deadline and they're going to be a better team than Orlando and Washington, but did Chicago also make these teams better, which has kind of hurt them in the playoff runs? Yeah, maybe. I mean, that is an interesting storyline is how it looks like maybe the trades didn't necessarily work out fully in the Bulls' favor. But, um, yeah, it's just been, you know, a disappointing development since the trade deadline. Um, But, you know, I mean, the Bulls still hanging around. And I guess since we've last been on air, they've won – couple games beat the Hornets handily at home and then just one at the heat so they're still hanging around but yeah the Levine injury has uh, certainly hurt their their chances um, but yeah I mean Vucevic has been really the key cog in this lineup since they traded for him it's just like they they haven't really um, used the momentum gain from that to really you know turn things around and and uh gain ground in the playoff push and the thing with Vucevic is we've talked about this before where this is the first time that Zach Levine is actually playing with another all-star caliber player and the offense has always run through Zach Levine where it's been get the ball to Zach Levine let him take over let him bring Chicago back if they're trailing and that's a good strategy to have, but the offense just seems to be more in sync with on the floor as opposed to Levine. I'm not saying they're better offensively with, without Levine because they're not, but I think running the offense through Vucevic has actually been a good thing for this team because Vucevic not only is great on the interior part of the paint with the soft touch, but he also can step out and knock down an outside shot so then People have to go out and guard him, which opens up the lane for other players, which is where Zach Levine could take advantage. Then you got guys like Kobe White, who is back in the starting lineup, and all of a sudden he's playing the best basketball he's played in his young career, where Billy Donovan has no choice at this point but to leave Kobe White in the starting lineup just because of the scoring he gives. But I just look at a guy like Daniel Tice, like I've mentioned before. Daniel Tice is emerging as a player that, the Bulls expected to get from Wendell Carter Jr., somebody that could come out there and give you 15, 16 points a night and be around 9 or 10 rebounds, and they never got that with Wendell Carter, but all of a sudden they're getting that from Daniel Tice. 
When Zach Levine comes back, do you expect Tice to stay in the starting lineup? Do you expect him to go back to the bench? And do you think the best lineup to go forward at this point is basically White, Levine, Williams, Tice, and Vucevic and try to get as many wins as you can down the stretch? Yeah, I like that lineup. I agree with that. I think that's that would be a good um, lineup to go with down the stretch. Try to get as many wins as possible. Um, you know, I mean, there needs to be um, a, a premium placed on, you know, offensive production, obviously, and, you know, trying whatever they can to kind of get this offense really on track permanently, settle into a groove, and um, try to get some wins. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, Williams has been a spark plug in his rookie season, and obviously we know what Kobe White can bring to the table. So I think having them playing together and starting lineup is is a good idea. Um, but yeah, the Bulls just you know gotta gotta start stringing together um, multiple wins here down the stretch because the regular season's almost over. And I still think the Bulls are one of the more improved teams in the Eastern Conference. I know a lot of people expected them to be one or two years away from playoff contention. And, yes, you have that additional two teams that are in the playoffs this year for NBA. So, I mean, technically, if this was the old format, they'd be four games out at this point. But they're still in playoff contention even at four games out. So for them to be in playoff contention this early, certainly they've overlive their expectations but then you look at teams like the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks who the Bulls face in their next game those are probably the two most impressive teams in the NBA this year in my opinion especially the New York Knicks who are coming off three or four of their worst years as a franchise and then all of a sudden they go and sign Tom Thibodeau and sure enough he brings his Tibbs magic back with them because it seems like everywhere Thibodeau goes he takes a bottom feeder team and leads them to the playoffs he did it with Chicago and he led him to the best record in the Eastern Conference. He goes to Minnesota and takes them to the playoffs for the first time in, I think, 15 or 20 years. And now he's going to the Knicks, and he's about to take them to the playoffs for the first time in seven years. Makes you wonder why the Bulls got rid of Thibodeau in the first place. And I mean, I love Billy Donovan. He's obviously the perfect fit for the roster that they have in place at this point. But just looking at the success the Knicks have had as early as they've had it with Thibodeau, I still don't know why they got rid of Thibodeau because he was the best coach Chicago had since Bill Jackson left. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, controversial, um, obviously, and, and, you know, looks like he's really helping to get the Knicks back on track combined with Julius Randle. I mean, they're practically turning the franchise around, and I've even read reports that a lot of, you know, impending big-name free agents are – interested in joining the Knicks. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's done a great job there. But, you know, I think the Donovan hire has, has been solid so far and is going to work out. I think that's going to have um, – that's going to lead to long-term success um, and it's going to really yield some, uh, some, some wins, some serious winning for the Bulls, I think. I think he's going to get this franchise really back on track. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's good for Thibodeau. It's been nice to see him succeed in New York. 
you also got to be happy for Derrick Rose, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a, probably the face of the NBA for a good three years in Chicago, and then once those knees started to give out, kind of got lost in the shuffle. No one really knew where he went. Goes to Minnesota last year and starts to look a lot like the Rose of old. Obviously, the athleticism isn't what it once was, but he was starting to make plays the way he typically did. And now he goes to the New York Knicks, and he's a key factor to that team. He's got the playoff experience. He has exactly the veteran leadership that that team is looking for. And I know he's not the same player that he once was, but the moment the Knicks acquired Derrick Rose, I think that was the turning point of the season because I believe the team is 25-13 and 13 or 25-14 and 14 since they got Derrick Rose. And obviously he's familiar with Thib- Thibodeau, and they also have Taj Gibson on the team, another player familiar with Thibodeau. So you got to wonder if – those familiar faces who are familiar with Thibodeau have really helped the Knicks get to where they are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, I agree. It's been great to see Derek Rose experience a resurgence um, and, you know, essentially look like he'll be extending his career for several more years. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, you know, because, I mean, it looked like his career was maybe dead in the water for a little bit, but now it looks like he's back on track. I mean, he'll still never be back to where he was, obviously, when he was younger with the Bulls and the MVP. But, I mean, who knows? He might, you know, be looking to play himself into Hall of Fame consideration. I mean, it's incredibly rare for um, an, NBA, an NBA MVP to not be – an MV uh, Hall of Fame caliber player. So he's probably playing with that in mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that is something that has helped Thibodeau. You know, it, it, he tried to see if that would work out for him in Minnesota with several former Bulls. Um, but that didn't really pan out. But I mean, obviously, we we're talking about one of the worst franchises in sports in the T Wolves. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's helped his cause in, in New York for sure. Um, and yeah, that, that's just cool to see that whole thing come together. I mean, the resurgence of the Knicks and him and Thibodeau really proving the naysayers wrong after many questioned that hiring decision by the Knicks to give him another head coaching shot. And so far it's worked out. Exactly. And last topic we'll touch on for about two, maybe three minutes here is Chicago Fire, who coming off of a three to one loss this weekend on the road against Atlanta. You had uh, Lucas Stojanovic score his second goal in as many matches. So that's a positive sign for the fire going forward as him and Robert Barrich look to make a pretty good one two punch for the fire this year. But as we've talked about in seasons past, the Chicago Fire have shown a ton of potential as a team. The only issue that they've had is winning on the road. And over the last three years, going back to when Ponovic was the head coach before they got Wiki, the Chicago Fire have won a total of eight road games the past three seasons. And five of those wins came in 2017 or 2018 with two wins coming last year and the rest of the wins coming in 2019. So winning on the road has not been easy for this team the past four years. And, same thing happened last week, and they went on the road to Atlanta, which is one of the more hostile environments in MLS. Atlanta is also one of the better home teams in the league, and 
Chicago hung with them for 60 minutes, and then Atlanta just scored two goals late to take what was a pretty well-played match and turn it into an easy victory. Chicago's got to go on the road this weekend against New York, who, again, the Red Bulls play in a very hostile environment. They're a very good home team, so this is going to be another tall task for Chicago. And we both feel that this is a team that is capable of making the playoffs this year, whether it's as the final seed or if they can find a way to get to the middle of the pack. But in order for them to do that, they got to start figuring out how to win games on the road or at least get points on the road. I mean, I can handle draws on the road at this point just because you're getting a point, but they can't keep losing games on the road the way they do like they have the past three, four years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You have to step it up on the road. Um, but, you know, it's a long season, and they're a team that has what it takes to get to the playoffs, obviously, um, which we mentioned last week. Uh, but, yeah, performing better on the road is certainly something they'll have to accomplish this season to improve their chances. And, um, yeah, I mean, losing 3-1 to Atlanta United since we were last on air. Um, and now they're going to take on the New York Red Bulls. But, yeah, I mean, the fire, you know, it's a long season, and they have what it takes to make the postseason. So they'll just have to uh, look to to start winning some matches and racking up points. Agreed. Uh, that's all the time Cole and I have for you today on Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Cole, is there anything else you want to add before taking off? No, nah, just you know, best of luck to Southern Illinois this weekend, and um, obviously we'll be keeping an eye on the Bulls and the Blackhawks as they try to uh, stay in their respective playoff hunts and see if the Cubs can snap out of this uh, recent funk they've been in. All right, Cole and I will be back next week as always. Thank you for turning in, tuning in to another edition of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. And Cole, we'll talk next week. All right, man. Talk to you soon.